By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a special joint edition of Behind the Bonds in partnership with our friends at Focus on Finance. I'm Tanya Hall, your host for this episode, and we are taking a deep dive into the Chinese property sector. In the second part of the podcast, my Focus on Finance colleague Danielle Reed will be talking to Moody's analysts about just how big Chinese insurers' investments are in property, and what is the insurance sector's overall exposure to the property market. And then we'll hear why homeowners are paying off their mortgages ahead of schedule and what this means for Chinese banks. But first off, my Behind the Bond buddy, Livia Yap, will be finding out why Moody's analysts have recently changed the outlook for the China property sector to stable from negative. Now, the outlook has been negative since September 2021. What's changed? There's only one way to find out. Livia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tanya. You're right. It does seem like things are finally starting to look better for the China property market, or at least like they're not going to get any worse. So joining me today to explain our new outlook and how it impacts the broader economy is Kelly Chen, who is a Hong Kong-based analyst on our China property team. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Livia. So Kelly, let's start with an overview. Your team recently changed the outlook for the next 12 months to stable from negative. What factors drove that decision? Well, we generally consider three factors to determine the China property outlook, the national contract sales trend, funding conditions for developers, and inventory level. So in that order, we expect national contract sales to stabilize in the next 12 months as sales volume gradually recovers. This means we forecast flat or 0% growth for 2023 compared with the almost 30% decline in 2022. We also think funding conditions will continue to improve with help from government support measures. And finally, we expect inventory levels to decline towards historical averages in higher tier cities, which are larger and wealthier cities in China. All right, so let's zoom in on that first point. Can you elaborate more on the sales forecast for this year? Of course. Uh, Our forecast primarily takes into consideration China's reopening and economic recovery, as well as the favorable government policies to stimulate property demand. National contracted sales actually jumped 6% year-over-year in the first three months of 2023. As you can see from our full-year forecast, we do not expect this growth momentum to continue because we do still see sector challenges. It's just that we think the risk of a further sales decline from the trough in the second half of 2022 is low. And what are some of these sector challenges that you see? Well, first, home buyers are still concerned about affordability. Um, there's also concerns about projects that cannot be delivered on time under the pre-sale model and also more for uh, defaults from property developers. That's why we think the pace of sales recovery is still uncertain. Okay, so those all sound like valid concerns. How are they being addressed? With home affordability, we believe the current economic recovery will support income growth and consumer confidence, which will increase their willingness to spend on property. 
And then there are government policies to support sales, like the fine-tuning of home re- home purchase restrictions and reducing the cost of mortgage financing, which will also encourage home buyers. And what about the risk of unfinished projects? There's also been quite a bit of government support on that front, right? Yes, the central government is、um, already distributing its second batch of special purpose loans to projects under financial distress. Some local governments have also set up bailout funds to support project construction. At the same time, there are also pro-、uh, policies to improve funding access for developers, which will help them better manage their funds to complete projects. Right, and these policies to improve funding access that you mentioned, I imagine they also help with the concerns over defaults. Yes, of course.、Um, these policies, especially the three arrow policies that were announced in November 2022, have helped to widen funding channels for developers. Although we expect some defaults from weak or low-rated developers over the next year, we think there will be fewer high-profile defaults that will further damage home buyers' confidence. I see. So about these support measures,、um, do they help developers equally, or do some benefit more than others?、Um, actually, state-owned developers、uh, and privately-owned developers with stronger credit quality、uh, will benefit more from the government policies. Banks and investors prefer them because they have lower risks of non-payment or investment loss.、Uh, at the same time, home buyers also prefer these stronger developers too. Because of the risk of unfinished projects and defaults, they would rather buy from developers that are known to be able to deliver projects on schedule and have prudent financial policies. So it sounds like even though we're expecting a stabilization in the market and a gradual recovery, it will be quite an uneven one. That's right. Is is there any other sort of differentiation that you're seeing?、Um, yes, we are also expecting an even、uh, an even sales recovery based on the different tiers of cities.、Uh, higher tier cities like tier one, tier two cities have stronger housing demand because they have higher economic growth and there's also constant population inflow. Uh, we expect a gradual rebound in sales in these cities and also new launches. This will cause a decline in inventory levels to historical averages in the next six to twelve months. On the other hand,、uh, lower tier cities will continue to face inventory pressure and have more sluggish sales because of lower economic growth and housing demand. So what I'm hearing you say is that we're expecting higher tier cities to lead the recovery in sales. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so let's take a step back now and look at the macro picture. So the property market makes up about a quarter of China's economy usually. What will a better property sales outlook compared with 2022 mean for these other sectors? Well, a gradual recovery in property sales will eventually boost the demand for construction and related related goods、um, like building materials and household appliances. This would improve earnings along the supply chain. At the same time, prospects of the property market also impact land sales by local governments. Uh, developers could start buying more land for new developments as the sales recovery brings down inventory levels. This would mean more physical revenue for the local government, and of course, an increase in business activity in the property sector and sectors along the supply chain will contribute to GDP growth and employment. I think Yulia and Chen will be able to provide more details on the linkages with financial institutions in the next segment. Thanks, Kelly. And now let's turn back to the outlook. So,、uh, what are some of the factors that might make you consider changing back to a negative outlook? We would consider changing back to a negative outlook if we see at least four factors. 
First, um, national contract sales fall by more than 5% over the coming 6 to 12 months. Second, uh, inventory levels approach uh, the peak in March 2020. Uh, third, onshore funding conditions tighten again. Uh, and lastly, a change in regulations that will hurt developers or sales. Okay, then what about a positive outlook? Well, the um, the likelihood of that in the near term is quite low because we would need to expect three main developments. Uh, first, the national contract sales grow by more than 10% in the next 12 months with balanced and sustained volume and price increase. Second, that developers maintain good funding access in both onshore and offshore markets without policy support, such that refinancing risks are substantially lower. Lastly, there's evidence of a more supportive regulatory environment over time. Right. Thank you so much, Kelly, for taking us through your views on the China property market. Now over to my colleague, Daniel Reed, for more on China property and financial institutions. Thanks so much, Livia. I'm here with Chen Zhu, who can talk about Chinese insurers' exposure to the property market, and also with Yulia Wan, who will explain why some homeowners in China are paying their mortgages ahead of schedule and what that means for banks. Chen, let's start with the insurers, because as investors in property, they're also part of the broader financing picture for China's property developers. Just how big are Chinese insurers' investments in property? What is the insurance sector's overall exposure to the property market, in other words? Hi, Daniel. That's a good question. Um, Chinese insurers' overall exposure as a percentage of total investments actually is not too large, uh, generally less than 5% of assets. But there are some insurers uh, whose investments are more concentrated in properties than others. For example, where property investments are more than 10% of uh, insurance shareholders' equity. And the life insurers tend to have more property investments than in PNC insurers because the long-term property investments match the life insurers' long-term liabilities. What kind of property investments can insurance companies make? Uh, that's a good question. Um, actually, insurance companies cannot make investments in residential property. Aha, and residential property, of course, is the segment that has been making all the headlines during the property market downturn. You know, all those unfinished projects we were all reading about. That's right. What kinds of property can they invest in? Um, they can only invest in commercial properties. And they can also invest in like equity of property companies, but not taking a controlling uh, stake. Um, they, of course, they can invest in property-related financial products, such as real estate equity funds and real estate debt investment plans. And has the property market affected their results much in the past few years? Well, uh, stress in China's property sector has certainly increased insurance asset risks and higher impairments and write-downs on property-related investments have been weakening their investment yields and the net profits. But overall, um, the direct credit impact on insurers has been limited because of their relatively moderate risk exposure and their strong capital position, as well as prudent investment and capital management. And the support measures for China's property market are also likely to help, as Kelly was saying, right? Yes, the support measures will broaden developers' funding access and will help alleviate funding pressure on many developers. As they will also boost investor confidence and reduce the number of bond defaults. 
And on, on top of that, there has been regulatory tightening under the insurance regulatory firm framework called CROS that has limited the growth of insurance overall exposure to property investments. Chen, thank you so much. And turning now to Yulia, who can talk about the residential property market and specifically about why there's been an increasing tendency for some Chinese homebuyers to prepay the mortgages on their properties. Yulia, welcome. Hi, Daniel. Yulia, why have residential mortgage prepayments picked up recently in China? I think most mortgages are floating rate, right? And mortgage rates are coming down. So what's the incentive? Yeah, you're right that uh, most mortgages are floating rate and they're repriced every year. It's also true that mortgage rates have come down. But some mortgage holders' rates reset based on the spread between the five-year loan prime rate and the mortgage at the time they signed it. And the spread between the loan prime rate and mortgage rate is significantly narrower today than it was, say, a year ago. Because of that, the mortgage borrower's rates may still be higher when they reset rather than the rates would be if they took out a new mortgage. Uh-huh, I see. That is interesting. Is that the main reason there's a pickup in mortgage prepayments? Well, uh, there is also just weak mortgage demand uh, and it will take some time to recover. Okay, that makes sense. There, It makes sense that there's some homeowner risk aversion right now. But what is the effect on banks from the mortgage prepayments? Well, there's no real asset risk to banks from these prepayments because the principal amounts are being paid out in full. Uh, but... Banks are having to reinvest the proceeds uh, at a time when interest rates are falling. So higher mortgage prepayments could weaken their profitability. That said, uh, we expect the negative impact on profitability to be limited in the next 12 to 18 months because the magnitude of further interest rate cuts is likely to be small. I see. Yulia and Qian, thank you both very much for your insights. And I see we're just about at time, so I'll turn the conversation back over to Tanya. Thanks, Danielle. And thanks so much to all of our other guests today. Things certainly seem to be looking brighter for the Chinese property sector, insurers and homeowners, even if banks' profits might be a little bruised. I hope you enjoyed this special joint episode. You can check out other episodes of Behind the Bonds, Focus on Finance and all our other podcasts at moodys.com forward slash podcasts. There's plenty of interesting stuff to explore and we have links to the research we've talked about in the show notes of this episode. Whether you're a regular listener or new to either Behind the Bonds or Focus on Finance, thank you so much for joining us and we hope you'll be back soon. So it's bye for now. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.